Bonjour, bonjour, and welcome to another episode of Everyone Hates Marketers.com, the no fluff, actionable marketing podcast for people sick of marketing bullshit. I'm your host, Louis Grenier. After four years, 175 episodes recorded, 9,625 minutes of no bullshit content published, and 1 million plus downloads reached, I felt it was time to shake things up a bit. You see, I want to help you radically stand out because I firmly believe it's the only way for you to succeed without marketing bullshit. So moving forward, each episode is going to be around 20 minutes long. Each episode is going to be super practical where I'm going to teach you one way to radically stand out that you can apply to your business today. I'm going to use snippets of past interviews, the lessons I've learned from my own experience and plenty of concrete examples. Oh, and one last thing. I'm also turning each of those episodes into the only newsletter focusing on differentiation and positioning so you can read at your own pace and remember the concept I'm teaching. If it's of interest, I hope you'll sign up today on everyonehatesmarketers.com. I'll also notify you when I launch new stuff and products and you can win rewards for referring other Mavericks to the newsletter, like branded cups and t-shirts and posters and private group coaching and plenty of other nice little surprises. All right, on to the podcast. In today's episode, you're gonna learn why conspiracy theories exist, what conspiracy theorists and customers have in common, and how to use this conspiracy theory mindset to actually convince people to buy from you in a ethical way, of course. I'll also share three very concrete examples, as well as an action plan for you to take away. I was in middle school uh, during 9-11. I remember I was in the bus actually going back home because in France uh, it was around, I think, 5, 4.30 p.m. when uh, all of it happened. And the bus driver actually had the, the radio on. And I remember arriving at my mom's place and she was already watching TV, which is very rare of her. She never really did that. And I remember seeing those towers falling. And... I think it was the first time in my life where uh, I actually witnessed a, a horrific event, but also a historic event. I, I, I had the feeling then that it was something absolutely crazy that had happened and something that would absolutely be part of history books for years, decades and, and centuries to come. And fast forward a few years after that, around after high school, when I was 18 or 19, I had a friend who started to be in all sorts of conspiracy theories, including the moon landing being fake and JFK being murdered by people inside the deep state. Of course, 9-11 being an inside job. And I remember him making me watch a lot of YouTube documentaries and reading articles from those very obscure websites. And, you know, it was a time where I felt very anxious about my future. Uh, I didn't really know what I wanted to do with my life. I had difficulties processing, you know, what had happened in my childhood and like, you know, anxiety and all of that. And so I, I, I was really in that phase of like trying to understand who I was as a person, my identity and all of that. And yeah, after watching all of this, I, I kind of was certain that 9-11 was an inside job. And in a weird way, it made me feel better. It made me feel like I was making sense of the world in a, you know, in, in a way. It made me more at ease believing that 9-11 and all of that was an inside job is a much better version for your anxiety than to think that 
all of those stuff happen almost at random, that different group of people are responsible for it and that the world is much more chaotic around it. That's much more difficult to process. And it turns out that that's exactly what conspiracy uh, theories exist. It's actually a human reaction to confusing times. And Rob Brotherton, who's a psychologist and he wrote the book Suspicious Mind, Why We Believe in Conspiracy Theories, says that we are all just trying to understand the world and what's happening in it. And this is, in essence, why conspiracy theories exist and are born. Now, to be clear, I don't believe in all of this anymore. I've digested it and I've made sense of the world, understood that it wasn't really the best explanation for all of it. But I guess this made me realize, thinking back, of why I started to be so attracted by those theories. Another uh, scientific study that was published by researchers around conspiracy theories explains something quite interesting as well. They explain that fear and anxiety were reported as positive predictors of conspiracy beliefs. So the more anxious you are, you know, the more you have this fear that, uh, of a threatening situation and, and how you have this kind of low perceived feelings of control over situations, that stands to conspiracy, right? And that was found to be especially true in people who have a need to exert control over the environment they like the feeling of being in control at all times. And again, that was pretty much me and that's still pretty much me uh, today. And that's a research done by Goris and Varasek that has been published in 2019. And again, that goes back to what the previous author mentioned, right? So conspiracy theories are, and conspiracy theorists are really doing so to make sense of the world around them. Uh, because of anxiety, because of a need for control. And it is much easier to make sense of the world around us when you can blame a very specific enemy, a very specific reason why things are happening. It's obviously much harder then to comprehend that things that things happen at random due to pure chaos in a disorganized fashion. And this is your link to marketing. This is your link to you as a marketer when you're trying to convince folks, consumers, and, and people to, to buy from you, this is how they feel. They feel like conspiracy theorists, in a sense. And let me explain why. When people are looking to buy, they are looking for change, right? They are looking for a way to change their life in some way, shape, or form. They want to solve a problem, solve a pain. They want to become a better version of themselves. And Andy Raskin, who was on the podcast before, who's a uh, positioning consultant, said the following. It's really about how you're creating urgency in the buyer's mind to change. So customers are likely anxious about this handover, especially if it's a huge pain. And the job of positioning is really about creating urgency in the buyer's mind so that they seek the change. And so just like conspiracy theorists who want to cope and make sense of the world, customers are the same. We are all the same. We all seek control in some way, shape or form. We all want to understand why things happen, the cause of our pain. And this is a link between the two, especially when we have products or services that are very expensive or that are there to create a big shift, a big change in our lives. This is how we start to think. We start to think like conspiracy theorists. We seek control. We seek to solve our pain. We want to understand what's going on. And this is what we should do as marketers. 
So uh, our job as marketers is to help people make sense of the world for them then, right? It's our job to identify the source of their pain, to make it easier for them to understand this information. It's not good enough to tell them about what you do, your service, your product, whatever it is. It's much more powerful instead to wrap that around the change they seek to make the enemy, the status quo that is threatening them. By doing so, you are helping them to make sense of the world around them. You are helping them to gain back control and to relieve their anxiety. This is what Andy Raskin has to say again on this. What I've found is that the teams that are, are really winning, the ones who are, are creating categories, are, are doing something different. And it's really about a war against the status quo or status quo thinking and approach. And so I really see positioning first and foremost, not as, of course, first and foremost, not as a, how are we different from them, our competitors, but how is the game you have to play different from the game you used to have to play? The way I visualize it, it's a simple uh, a box where you place the reasons why they feel this way, right? I've just visualized this box where you put all the reasons of uh, why they feel this way. And you name the box. You name that box to be that enemy, that status quo. You give it a name. You summarize things for them. You basically don't list all the reasons why you know they are looking to change. They are... Uh, you, you summarize things for them, you pick the most important, you pick the most pressing, the one that they will understand the best. And of course, things are always more complex than the way you want to communicate it as a marketer, as a change maker, as a creator. But by doing so, you are doing the work of, of helping them to understand the world better by summarizing things better, by naming things, by simplifying things, by putting things into a box. And just to be clear, when I talk about this enemy, this status quo, I don't mean your direct competitors, and that's super important to understand. What I mean by this is that the source of their pain, of their anxiety, of the reason why they seek to change is very, very unlikely to be direct competitors, direct products or services that do exactly what you do. Instead, those are things that they are currently doing that are not direct competitors, so that could be competitive alternative, things that they use to try to relieve that pain or solve that problem already. It could be using an intern, it could be using Excel, it could be uh, hiring an employee, it could be doing nothing. That could be the reason of their pain. It could be anxiety and, and internal beliefs. And so this is very unlikely to be direct competitors. And this is a mistake I see being done all the time. Your enemy, the status quo, the box you want to kind of name so that people understand the world around them better, so that they understand why they need that change and why they need to choose you, is extremely unlikely to be your direct competitors. So here are a few examples of that to understand. And, and I want to go away from like the tech world. So I'm going to give you an example from Andy Raskin again, who talks about Star Wars in that aspect. Luke has been bellyaching, complaining about he wants to have adventure, all this stuff. And Obi-Wan comes to him and says, hey, let's go have an adventure. Come with me to I think, this planet called Alderaan. I'll teach you how to be a pilot, the force, the whole thing. And what does Luke say? Luke says, ooh, you know what? It's getting late. I have to go home. <laughs> he basically says no. And I, in, in workshops, I always say, who does this remind you of? And of course, everyone, especially salespeople, will raise their hand and say, oh, the, the reluctant buyer. And I think there's something very similar going on in both cases where the person, that, whether it's Luke or the people we're meeting in sales, 
they're actually, for all their complaining, they're actually kind of okay. They're not actually in pain. We talk about, you know, what are their pain points or selling to pain? That most of these people are not in pain. Otherwise, they really would have bought already. And so, you know, what happens in, and they see that the future too is probably everything, they're probably always going to be okay. Like why change? Why rock the boat? I mean, this is what the economists call loss aversion. Why risk, even though there might be some upside that I'm potentially seeing, why risk that for if there's going to be a potential downside? And so what we have to do is get them to see that wor- see their world and the future differently. You know, in Star Wars, how does George Lucas do that? He has the Empire bomb Luke's parents uh, or his foster parents and kill them. And now Luke sees the future very differently. And we as the audience do too, of course, you know, probably he's going to be dead because he's like a sort of like bratty kid. But then <laughs> there's this other, other game that he's being invited to play. You could call it the grown-up game. You know, he's been sort of playing the kid game and Obi-Wan, you know, invites him to that. So what do we have to do? We have to kill the parents <laughs> of the of the prospects. And of course, uh, figuratively, what do we mean by that is we have to show them that there are indeed stakes, that that this new game is the one that the winners are playing and that not playing it and not playing it well is a road to ruin that you're going to lose. Right. Another example is a company called Hoja. I worked for them for a few years before and I worked a lot on their positioning and all of that. And the status quo that we identified based on the lot of work we've done, talking to customers directly to understand what they were doing before, why they were seeking to change, why were they trying to use a tool like Hoja to understand user behavior on their website. And we found out that virtually all of the people using Hoja were also using traditional web analytics tools like Google Analytics. And this is why we picked that as a status quo. To be clear, we did not pick Google Analytics as kind of the status quo, as the box that we are pointing at. We named it, uh, we named the box to be traditional web analytics in general. And that makes it easier. We don't, we hate the players. We hate the game, not the players, right? And so we are not there to point figures at at another company. The other thing to to understand here is uh, with Google Analytics, Google Analytics was never a competitor of Hotjar. Uh, if anything, they are just a complementary tool. And so this goes with what I told you earlier on about direct competitors. And so this is why we came up with this very simple two-sentence positioning to explain you know, this box that we're pointing at, the status quo, and why Hotjar is important. Traditional web analytics tools helps you to analyze traffic data, but numbers alone can't tell you what users really do on your website. Hotjar will. And you can see the contrast between the two. We are pointing at the status quo and the enemy, the reason why they are in pain, and we give them an alternative a solution, something else that they can do so they can seek to change. So that's the second example. Again, the tech world is, is full of, of case studies and examples, but I want to give you something else. Even if you are a consultant, uh, someone like a freelancer, you can do the same exercise. Think about the things that cause your market's pain, your customer's pain, and think about a way to put it in a box and name it so that they understand it. Yes, this is why I feel that pain. This is why I don't feel in control. This is why I feel anxious about the world around me. And this is why I need to seek to change. For example, when you think about conversion copywriting as a discipline, you can name that box to be the fact that it's basically customer expectations that are increasing drastically. And there is a lot of clutter online, more and more competition. And the reason why 
you need conversion copywriting is because it's not just good enough to write copy yourself and to expect things to happen. It's more important to to focus on it as a proper discipline so that when you have a visitor on your website, which costs a lot of money for you to acquire, you want to make sure you convert them. So you can see that you really explain in a few words why it's important for them to try to seek to change and it's important for them to gain back control and relieve their anxiety. Another example would be the Everyone Hates Marketers as a podcast, as a company, where I kind of name that box to be that enemy, that status quo to be marketing bullshit. Just two words. But then I would explain that marketing bullshit is not your fault. You don't try to lie to people because you enjoy it. In fact, the enemy is actually uh, the pressure you're under, the pressure you're under to deliver results, the fact that you're under understaffed, under-resourced, the fact that everyone is telling you you should do this and you should do that, and it's very, very difficult. And you're also forced to, to sell undifferentiated products with a lot of competition out there. And yeah, it's tough. And so that's the reason why you feel under pressure. That's the reason why you have to kind of resort to marketing bullshit. And I don't blame you. You know, I blame the game. I don't blame you. Uh, last example I want to give you is really far, far outside of the tech world and it's also far outside of today's world. It was more than 100 years ago with Pepsodent, which was a product to help you clean your teeth. And at the time, Claude Hopkins, the advertiser, was charged to communicate and promote that new product. Why was it new? Because at the time, they were not selling toothpaste in a tube. They were selling it in a jar, right? And it was kind of charcoal-based, and it was horrible, difficult to kind of use, give you... It would work, but it wouldn't be the most pleasing experience, let's put it that way. So he was in charge of making sure that things would... that they would sell this, this new product called Pepsodent, which was sold in a tube and also had this kind of minty, fresh appeal, which was absolutely new uh, back then. And when you think about the status quo there and the enemy, the enemy was the fact that sugary food was everywhere. There was a massive rise of sugary food uh, then. Uh, there was bad hygiene in general. And even the US Army said that it was a, a huge health risk uh, if that wasn't done, if it, that wasn't fixed. And so when you think about it in terms of the status quo and the enemy, the way to frame it was that it's not your fault that you know you have bad teeth. It's really about the fact that the, the sugar industry and the sugary foods are increasing. That you don't have the the education, the know-how that this could actually be fatal for you. This could be very very bad for your health in general. And so he came up with this very very famous ad campaign where he made it about status. I'm not blaming you for not brushing your teeth. I'm blaming the environment around you and all of that. And that if you want to rise above it and get better health, you better use Pepsodent, which not only gives you a cleaner teeth, but also this kind of minty, fresh feeling on your teeth after it. And that took like Wallfire, this product alone, really gained a lot of a momentum and became the best-selling toothpaste for more than 30 years after it. And that's because he convinced people that their needs, change needs to happen. Just like conspiracy theorists who need to feel in control, who are afraid of what's going on around them, he managed to to make it about about that, about that enemy, that status quo, uh, and the fact that, yes, you need to change. Something needs to happen. Here is my advice to you today about all of this and why consumers and conspiracy theorists basically think the same way and what you should do about it as a marketer, as a creator, as a founder, as an entrepreneur. Ask yourself those three questions. What is the actual cause of your market's pain? Why are they seeking to change? If you have to create a box and put things in it and name it, what will be its name so that people understand it? 
what is frustrating them the most about this? You know, what is creating the, the most anxiety, the higher need for control? What is standing in the way of their progress? They want to change, but what is standing in the way of that change? Those three questions will help you to identify this enemy, this status quo, this thing that prevent them to change and would make them feel more in control because now they understand, yeah, I'm not alone. I don't, I feel this way for that reason. And therefore, this is why I need to do this. So those three questions are very important. And a few rule of thumbs, a few things to remind you when it comes to naming this status quo. This is something that is leaving both losers and winners, right? So there are people who are currently, who have changed, who have already done that, who have already kind of fought this enemy and moved to the other side. And that are more more likely your customers, right? They've done that, they've achieved that change. And so in contrast, who are then those losers? Not losers in terms of you are a loser, but people who have yet to change. And why are they still there? What is the enemy of the status quo that prevents them from going there. This, this enemy doesn't have to be an external enemy. Sometimes it's really about internal beliefs, internal habits, things that prevent them from changing, from moving ahead, right? And it, this is as important as external factors to name something, to name an enemy or status quo that really relieve their, their pain because, yeah, they understand it's not their fault, even if it's an internal process. The reason could be outside of their control. And sometimes the status quo, this enemy, is the result of a bigger trend, meaning there are shift happening, changes happening in the world, political, environmental, economical, could be new laws and, and all of that, that actually changes things around that could actually be the reason why people are in pain right now. So this is kind of the thought exercise that you can think about. This is extremely powerful. It works really well because again, you're summarizing things for people. You are giving them control back. You are relieving their anxiety. And just like conspiracy theorists who are seeking an answer to understand what's going on around them, you are doing that as well. So to summarize, people believe in conspiracy theories because they seek to understand the world around them, to overcome anxiety, to gain back control. And people, consumers, feel the same when seeking to change, when they want to buy something, when they are seeking a, a new product or new solution. So your job as a marketer is to identify that status quo, that enemy, that thing that some people are forced to play, this old game that people are forced to play to relieve their anxiety, to explain why they feel this way and to explain why it's not their fault if they feel this way. You are naming that box, you are summarizing things so they clearly understand, okay, this is what's happening right now and this is why I need to change. This status quo is either external or internal right? It could be the beliefs, their own beliefs and their own habits, as well as things that are happening internally. That's it for another episode of everyonehatesmarketers.com. I'm pouring my heart and soul into this. Uh, it will mean a lot to me if you check out the newsletter that goes with this podcast at everyonehatesmarketers.com. I send this newsletter every Tuesday. It's packed with very practical, step-by-step, -step, actionable ways for you to radically stand out. And when you sign up, you also get access to a free eight-lesson course on the same topic. All right, see you on the other side. And that's it for another episode of EveryoneHatesMarketers.com. Thank you so much for listening. I'm super, super grateful. 
I'd love for you to consider subscribing to my daily newsletter, Monday to Friday, called Stand the Fuck Out Daily. I send very short, hopefully interesting, surprising, shocking, entertaining content to help you stand the fuck out. It's at everyonehatesmarketers.com. You can subscribe for free and obviously unsubscribe whenever you want. I'm just going to read a couple of emails that I got recently as a reply. Juma said, your content attacks the mind primarily, which is such a good thing because most of us are skilled at what we do, but we don't have the courage to do it our way. Mark, who just subscribed a couple uh, days before, said, this is my first issue of your newsletter. Love it. Glad I subscribed. Brianna said, I just realized this morning that my email habit is now to one, skim through the list, two, select all unread industry email except yours, three, delete and don't think twice, four, quickly skim yours. Amy said, also loving the new content that's coming from you. It feels really lovely. Candle said, I like your writing a lot. It really resonates. There's so much bullshit out there. It's good to touch the authentic. And Chloe said, where is the I fucking love this email button? Brilliant. I hope you subscribe. You'll be joining more than 14,000 subscribers at this stage, which is crazy. It's the size of a small stadium. Anyway, thank you so much. See you on the other side.